Texas Family Doc Talk. I'm Jonathan Nelson with the Texas Academy of Family Physicians, coming to you from the satellite office of TAFP headquarters, a.k.a. my closet, in Austin, Texas, where the term staycation shall never be used again. This is our fourth episode of Texas Family Dog Talk, and we're recording this on Monday, April 20th. As of this morning, the CDC reports there are more than 746,000 cases of COVID-19 throughout the country, and more than 39,000 people have died due to complications of the disease. On April 17th, Governor Greg Abbott announced some initial steps to reopen the state's economy, including loosening restrictions on non-essential surgeries and medical procedures, allowing retail stores to provide curbside pickup, and the opening of state parks. He also announced that schools would remain closed throughout the remainder of the 2019-2020 school year. Since we don't know when you'll be listening to this episode, this bit of news should give you an idea of where we are in the running history of this pandemic. Here at TAFP, we are working to curate resources and information for our members. Keep an eye out for our TAFP NewsNow emails and visit the COVID-19 resources page at tafp.org. As the pandemic continues to spread through our communities, frontline physicians like family doctors find themselves having many difficult conversations with patients and their families. That would be tough on its own, but in this situation, all the relevant information seems to be constantly changing. The ability to have those conversations with compassion and comfort is a challenge in such stressful times. Our guest today, Dr. Paul Tatum, is the director of the Hospice and Palliative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Texas at Austin Dell Medical School. And he is here to talk about those conversations and some resources that can help. Hey, Dr. Tatum. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Not in your closet, but my, my apartment's just about the size of a closet. Well, uh, how, are, how are things with you and your family these days? You guys hanging in there? You know, everybody's doing well. My uh, wife and kid have actually moved up to help take care of her dad, who's in his late 80s and has been on steroids for a year, so he's high risk, so they can kind of be there to help out. They're actually quarantining on a farm in rural Missouri for uh, two weeks before going into town so that they make sure we don't accidentally take something to them. And then my daughter is doing something similar, helping out my mom in uh, Houston. So I'm enjoying a little peace and quiet. Well, how uh, how's work for you these days? Uh, Your work, I, I, I can imagine like many people, there's that first part where uh, they say in a, in a tidal wave, the, 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 uh, the waves go out before the big one comes in. And, uh, you know, with numbers of patients going down for quite a bit of time, uh, but meeting after meeting after meeting to fill the time. My favorite thing I've read so far has been the New England Journal of Medicine, which proves that interminable meetings do not cure COVID. Uh, that's good. Um, well, you, um, of course, are a family physician who specialized in geriatrics, and now you've developed a fellowship uh, at UT Dell Medical School for hospice and palliative medicine. What drew you to uh, that area of care? You know, I, uh, from the very beginning, always wanted to be a family physician uh, in part because that's the docs who I knew who took care of me. And um, the good people in San Antonio really also put me on a path to primary care when I was in medical school. And I spent a, a, a 
a big part of my time in training being more and more drawn to some of the people who have multiple illnesses and the relationships that come and working with, with that patient population. And as I was in training, um, my, my dad died in small town, East Texas, and he died um, with a great deal of suffering. And his, his uh, doc did a great job getting diagnosis, but he didn't have the skills to help what was really, in fairness, a very challenging, difficult death. And so I wanted to learn more, and I spent a little time studying in San Diego with a palliative care uh, expert team there. And I realized that was such a big part of what I was interested in medicine. And it, as much as anything, that was the time I most was taking care of families. And I've spent 20 years practicing as a primary care physician, uh, in part as a teacher, and trying to teach uh, some of the skills of palliative care that I've learned along the way. My vision is that um, you know there's never going to be enough specialists to take care of uh, all of the people who are aging and dying, but family physicians have this skill, and family physicians are the main provider of palliative care in America today. And my goal as an educator was to kind of help every every family physician develop those skills. And uh, in the middle of all that, a friend called me up and said, "Hey, we're starting a new program in Austin." And it happened to be right after my mom was in a bad car wreck and it was perfect timing. So here I am now back full circle into my home community, uh, working to kind of build a training program here. Oh, wow. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your, your experience, your dad's experience. And I'm sorry to hear about your mom. How's your mom doing? Luckily she's made an amazing recovery and, uh, she's got a lot of back, but, uh, I would highly recommend, um, uh, avoiding 18 wheelers when the driver's falling asleep. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, um, listen, Dr. Tatum, for most of our listeners, of course, are family physicians, but uh, some aren't. So would you give us a just a brief definition of palliative care? What makes it different from hospice care, for example? Yeah, sure. You know, people think initially about palliative care as primarily end-of-life care, but it's really a lot more than that. I think palliative care is for anyone who has serious illness. And a serious illness could be anything from uh, a, a disease that's going to limit your life, but it could be several years from now, or limit in function and a major impact on your family. So what palliative care does is it provides relief from symptoms and stress of serious illness in part by making a plan. And the goal is to improve quality of life, both for the patient and the family. And I think, it, you know, it, it really is what family physicians do every day, which is taking care of the patient through the context of the family. Uh, and, and that's why I always say that really, um, palliative care is, is the skill of every family physician. And a lot of it's about good communication. A lot of it's about planning and, uh, anticipating. Well, and that's really what we're here to talk about today. Um, so as far as COVID-19 goes, uh, tell us your, your experience. What, what have you seen? You know, I um, actually had my first experience with COVID. I was coming back from a meeting in California right at the beginning of things. Had a uh, sickness like I often will get after being on an airplane. Um, lasted a couple of days and didn't think much of it. Then my wife had something very similar, but really a lot more fever and a pretty pronounced cough. And for all the world, just kind of looks like the definition of a, of, a, of a COVID case. And the first experience I had was trying to figure out how do we get her tested in part? Because I was afraid if, if I had had a mild case, I didn't want to pass it on to patients. And um, you know, this was early on and there were no tests to be had. So I'd say my first experience was that 
challenge of, of, um, of testing. And I think one of the things that struck me was how some of the communication lines of frontline staff, they didn't have the skills to help. And I can imagine, you know, from my, my experience at the primary care office, how my phone team was so critical to my patients getting information. And uh, that's where I think the uh, reference vital talk, which I'm really going to recommend to all family physicians is I think so helpful. Vital talk is a resource developed by Tony Bach, who is an oncologist in Seattle. And for 20 years, he's been working to improve physician communication. But as he was seeing the outbreak of COVID there, he wanted to develop tools that could help all clinicians quickly deal with the crisis of COVID. And he tested it through a number of people around the country using crowdsourcing and it's open label. You can find it at Vital Talk COVID in a Google search and we'll share that resource at the end. It's practical advice that you can use to help your team. And one of those things is with um, you know, the office team, just giving them tools about dealing with screening. I think many of us are probably pros at this by now, but you know, when you get a question, why aren't they testing everybody? Part of the, the key essence about Vital Talk is not just addressing the question, but the underlying emotion behind it. So um, they give you language around not only we don't have enough test kits right now, but I wish it were different language that's empathic. Why do the tests take so long? How come this basketball player got tested instead of me in language like that? And I think, you know, they also have counseling that you can give your frontline staff. And, you know, people have been homebound for a few days or calling in. You know, they might say, I'm scared. I need some hope. Maybe they're angry. Maybe it's you people are incompetent or I want to talk to your boss. And it gives nice, quick responders that work very well that you can share with staff. And I think, you know, beyond that, it's a great tool beyond screening to help out with a number of other things. Um, I was thinking about my first actual COVID case. This was when I was practicing in the hospital and seeing a patient in the ICU. That's a healthy young person, um, you know, 30s, 40s. And they came in essentially uh, dying and ECMO didn't stop the process. And it was clear they were dying. Um, and what was at a time where families weren't allowed to come in, the key thing that needed to be done was give the family space to say goodbye. And the nurse was really devastated and struggling with how are we gonna do this? So Vital Talk has a whole series of how you can help a team talk a family member through saying goodbye over the telephone. And even today, you know, a lot of the hospitals aren't allowing people in to visit. And this task where they're imminently dying can really make a major difference to the family's bereavement outcomes in their last hours. They call it love. Love is L, lead the way forward. And that kind of sets up the talk about what's about to happen. O is offer, where you kind of help guide people through saying some of the things that might matter. Uh, the four things that matter to people as they're dying might be, please forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, I love you. And then after you've been able to say those things, then you can say goodbye. And checking in on what people might want to say, helping them plan it out a little bit. The V for love is validating what they want to say. And then expecting emotion, the E, final part about that, and helping them prepare for that talk. And uh, I think that's a tool that all of us that see patients both in clinic and in hospital will find invaluable the first couple of times as we're going through this. 
plus helping the nurse that's maybe helping to manage the phone call ahead of time. So it gives them a structure to that type of uh, call. And that resource is, uh, it's completely free. I mean, you can just uh, go visit it online, right? I mean, we'll it's have the free. Link. It's being updated. It includes things about what to say when people are getting into triage. It has language for worst case scenario if we get into the uh, crisis mode, which hopefully our, our social distancing is going to prevent in our region. Uh, but if you can imagine some of the areas where you might have micro uh, waves of things, how to deal with uh, language use when resources are limited, uh, languages to use when notifying a family about someone dying, uh, helping to anticipate, helping people just anticipate what might happen when they're admitted. Um, it's a great resource, and I think it's one that you can use for yourself. I, I find I've been doing these conversations for years, but um, there's such nuance in some of it with COVID. I, I find the first couple of times I'm doing a couple of conversations, pivoting to it and, and running through the language. I'm actually bilingual and I've found uh, it's been most helpful for me with the Spanish translation uh, because language that I think I've got pretty well down in English, uh, being able to pivot to their Spanish thing, I'll sit and review the things I want to say right before a phone call or a, a virtual meeting. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. It's a great resource. And as you said, we're going to link to it in the show notes uh, for, for anyone who wants to come uh, download those uh, or access uh, the link. But you're right. I mean, you can just Google it. I did that earlier today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been struck too. The other patient population I've been seeing a lot of is the uh, uh, immigrant population here in Austin and some of the homeless population. And I'm struck by one of the challenges is just how little information that community's had about COVID in general. And what I think makes the conversations often difficult too is as a clinician, I can guide somebody through prognosis of cancer pretty well, what to expect. But we're still learning as we're ramping up in our thing. And uh, I think a good prognosis resource that I'm recommending to people go to is uh, a thing called JerryPal. JerryPal is a blog, Geriatric Palliative Care. Uh, uh, two guys out of UCSF run it. And their recent uh, post about prognosis, uh, because so much of the uh, mortality happens in the older population, is an excellent resource. Um, you know, it looks like our mortality rates have a striking age difference. The 40 to 60 year population is only about 7% of world deaths, 60 to 70, maybe about 38%. And the age over 80 represents about 55% of the COVID deaths so far. And they continue to update the key prognostic questions uh, as, as more data comes in. You know, CPR, what do we make of CPR? The initial reports, only one major published report suggests CPR outcomes are are quite dismal, but we'll learn more as we get more information in, and I'll continue to update that. Other resources that you might have? You know, I've been thinking about my clinical practice where I was in the office and I was mostly taking care of a patient population with multimorbidity. And, you know, in the kind of uh, before the tidal wave, the sea going out, I was thinking about one of the things that I would be most proactive about would be trying to help that higher risk tool, targeting them with some interventions about advanced care planning. How do you do COVID advanced care planning? Um, and I think that, um, again, going back to Vital Talk, one thing that can be helpful is framing a conversation that this is something that I think we could just do a little bit of time thinking about, and they talk about something called calmer. That's a check-in. 
ask about COVID is the A, uh, hearing a little bit about what they understand about COVID and their situation. Laying out some general issues uh, so you can kind of talk about preparation about what might happen and if somebody got it. And what would you do if it got really bad? Motivate, motivate them to choose a proxy and talk about what matters. And in the context of Texas and Texas's DNR laws, if you can have them go ahead and you know, at least complete a power of attorney. I think if difficult decisions have to be made uh, with our laws, having an actual power of attorney can go a long way. Um, expect emotions again and having some language to help with that emotion and then recording the discussion. That's the calmer mnemonic. And if I were to think about one way to do that, if I was dealing with very, very sick patients, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization has designed a shared decision-making tool, which is really good for the frailest patients that actually has a lot of information laid out as shared decision-making tools do about prognosis. And then it has a framework of, that can help design, would somebody want um, you know, usual care? Would they want primarily comfort-focused care? Or would they even wanna go ahead and have care just done at home? And if that clearly were the case, you know, it might frame, gosh, could I get that person access to hospice uh, up front? I think the other um, tool that I would come in, we talked about in the calmer mnemonic about motivating people to name a proxy. Um, they may not be fully prepared to do that. And another resource I really like is called Prepare for Your Care. And what Prepare for Your Care is, is it's designed as a tool where someone with a little prompting can learn about advanced care planning, go through it online, and it has little videos and vignettes that are done at about a sixth or seventh grade education level. And you can kind of choose six or seven different options. The person who's most like you, here's somebody go through their story about how they did advanced care planning. And it runs you through a five-step process of advanced care planning where you can ultimately end up with an advanced care planning document using uh, a document that works uh, for your state. So you can choose Texas, create an advanced care planning document, and it helps you choose what matters for you, how to tell the loved ones about it, and how to finalize the document. Wow. Well, these are this. It's right now uh, in the situation that uh, that we're in as an organization, and where and where our members are. You know, we've been spending so much time. Uh, as an academy, and I think rightly so, uh, thinking about the financial viability of independent practices and, and um, you know, what kind of regulatory uh, relief can we get or advocate for uh, through CMS or other payers. Um, and we thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's ongoing, trust me. Um, but it is so um, important to have these discussions uh, about, you know, yes, yes, clinical discussion in part, but mostly about that relationship. And when you're in that really difficult conversation, um, you know, you have you have your colleagues and you have these resources. I, I just really appreciate you um, coming to talk to us about this today. Well, one final resource I thought yeah. about helpful. There's something called the Center to Advance Palliative Care, and they've created a list of uh, resources for COVID. But you can imagine if the worst case happens and you're being asked to help manage a person who's really struggling with difficult symptoms of COVID, they've designed a symptom management guide. 
And that's also available free. And I think it's just a nice framework for some general dosing of some of the symptoms that can arise during COVID, certainly shortness of breath, anxiety, and things like that. And um, I hope that we continue our, our um, social distancing in a way that uh, keeps us at a, at a slow trickle rather than the, 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 the scary peaks. And I know it's a long haul and um, you know, uh, nothing like a trusted family physician to help guide, guide, guide patients and families through this. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll link to all of these resources, uh, as we mentioned in the show notes, but also um, we'll post them on the TAFP COVID-19 resources page at TAFP.org. Well, Dr. Tatum, thank you so much for being with us. This is such an important topic, and we, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks again to Dr. Paul Tatum of UT Dell Medical School. Thanks also to the team at TAFP for making all of this happen. We'll be back with more shows soon, so subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email the show at jnelson at tafp.org and visit us online at www.tafp.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Jonathan Nelson for the Texas Academy of Family Physicians, and this has been Texas Family Doc Talk.